0: Today on Building the Open Metaverse.
1: There isn't just one metaverse. Everybody's view of what their digital twin and what the metaverse means to them is going to be assembled. So we had to to think of something outside of what we were doing, and that we now call iTwinJS. It's our future for sure.
0: Welcome to Building the Open Metaverse, where technology experts discuss how the community is building the open metaverse together. Hosted by Patrick Cozy from Cesium and Mark Petit from Epic Games.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show, Building the Open Metaverse, the podcast where technologies share their insight on how the community is building the open metaverse together. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Petit from Epic Games, and my co-host is Patrick Cozzi from Cesium. Patrick, how are you today?
0: Hi, Mark. Everybody. Uh, I'm doing great. I have a lot of reasons to be happy. Uh, this is the first episode that we're recording where I'm at the new Cesium headquarters. We haven't moved in yet, but it will have a full... Studio for recording podcasts. Uh, But right now, I'm in our future boardroom. And for those watching on video, I have a printout of the Time Magazine Metaverse uh, article that Matthew Balls kindly signed for us. Uh, Then I'm also excited because we have a a very special guest with a, a great story to tell today.
2: Yeah. And our guest today is Keith Bentley, who is Executive Vice President, CTO, and co founder of Bentley Systems. Keith, welcome to the show
1: well thank you for having me you have a very uh loyal uh uh, audience uh, from what i understand and i've seen some of your podcasts and some of your guests so i hope i don't disappoint
2: i I doubt you you (laughs) will.
0: so keith as you know we love to start off the the podcast asking folks about their journey to the metaverse and you know yours is uh, super special to me because one you've done it in the greater philadelphia area which is dear to both of our hearts And and two, I mean, you saw the opportunity for graphics and the PC before many other folks did. So, we'd love to hear your journey.
1: Well, uh, my personal journey and Bentley Systems journey started even before the personal computer back in 1984, we were founded, and our first product ran on a, I guess at at the time it was called a mini computer from a company called DEC, Digital Equipment Corporation, actually our software ran on one of their OEMs from a company called Intergraph probably your users your audience may have been aware of anyway the way our product first product worked is you connected the vax to a terminal called a like a Tektronix uh, 4014 terminal and you sent graphics over ascii using escape sequences so that's the way our first graphics program worked. You use an RS-232 port to a terminal. Right around that time, the IBM PC AT uh, came out, and it became pretty clear that the concepts of you know running uh, software locally on a local computer had some advantages over the mini computer. Mini computer costs a million cost dollars usually. The terminals themselves cost maybe between five and ten thousand dollars. And a personal computer was fifteen, maybe twenty thousand dollars. So, just price-wise, it was a huge advantage. But even more so was the advantage that you could, you know, sort of have some autonomy. You, you were in control of your own destiny. Your, your computer was yours. That's why it's a personal computer. Anyway, so we, we. Wrote software that ran on the personal computer when it was relatively new. Our software did CAD, computer aided drafting. So our graphics component, and there wasn't a such thing as graphics cards at the time. There wasn't even such thing as network cards, generally. And we wrote graphics that you know turned pixels on on uh, on bitmaps, and we wrote you know shaders using painter algorithms and brushing ham algorithms so at the beginning it didn't do much but cad stood for computer aided drafting so our main mission was automating the process of creating pieces of paper draft yeah just automating that anyway that was our first probably 10 years of our life um we we enhanced the the way that you You could use your personal computer, and you know there was there was a lot of advances in the hardware. One of which was graphics cards. You know ways that you could send not you know pixels to the screen, but commands to a a GPU. Uh, That was kind of a new cool idea for us. Uh, Then, uh, kind of chapter two of Bentley Systems' story is that the CAD. transition from being computer-aided drafting to computer-aided design. And the purpose of a computer session would be not only to create pieces of paper in the main, still people-generated paper, but to create a model, an electronic model of some asset. So anyway, computer-aided design uh, gave way over time to something called BIM. BIM, I think, stands for the B stands for building, but I uh, IM stands for information modeling. And the concept is that instead of just doing you know, some uh, modeling what something looks like, you know, it's its physical properties, you also model the properties about why it, it exists. And so engineers use our products to design lots of things. Um, they they design roads, they design buildings, they design plants. Generally, we focus on the kinds of things that are large enough that they have a fixed location on the Earth. So, BIM is used to model now practically everything that is you know built in in the built world, the infrastructure world is modeled with some tool like ours or or our competitors. I mean, many people work on this type of thing anyway. So, the graphics components of of a BIM model are typically designed around you know trying to make a engineering representation of some physical property of things and, you know, the the techniques for rendering and have advanced substantially. But in the main, people today still use BIM models to generate drawings and drawings are not paper anymore. But they're PDFs. But there's a there's a, a much better uh, uh, approach to that coming in. And the concept of a metaverse is really going to take over. Uh, our business the the business of our users, and I'm really excited about what might happen next. what uh, for all the same reasons that that you at cesium and epic or you know we see it it's it's gonna happen. It's going to change just like the PC replaced everything about the personal computer. I think the metaverse and we'll use the term digital twin, I think is going to replace our business uh, in the not too distant future. It already is happening, and we're spending a lot of our effort on it but and you know, that's kind of our journey. It's been nearly 40 years, so well, we've been at it for a while.
0: Wow! And I, I love the parallel to how game-changing the PC was, and potentially how game-changing the metaverse will be today. We we certainly feel the same way. Uh, I love the origin story, and I love that you were doing graphics in the Greater Philadelphia area in the 80s. It was probably maybe a dozen people, including academics, at that time. So I think it's been very <laughs> cool and.
1: Definitely true. We started just down the street from where you currently are in Center City, <laughs> <Shady>, Philadelphia.
0: Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes.
1: Your office today probably is twice the size of the one that we had there. Bentley Systems began. I started it. Then I started hiring brothers. At one point, uh, I had all four of my brothers working for Bentley Systems. So it's kind of a weird <laughs> story. Bentley Systems is not a typical story, but one of the aspects that people tend to focus on is the fact that we were built by sure five we brothers.
2: If I remember well, there was at the beginning of the PC era, there was a lot of CAD companies. And only yes. a few of them are still
1: like 30-odd. Right. Why true. why not you
2: explain the longevity of Bentley over 40 years? How, what was the secret there?
1: Well, I don't know if there's any secret, but you're right. Hey, when we got started, the personal computer was new. Everybody saw that the... I think the only person who really wasn't convinced that the personal computer was going to amount to anything was the president of DEC, Ken Olson. He's a really smart guy and gets a lot of credit for a lot of really good stuff. But the only thing he's ever remembered for us is his quote that "Why does anybody want a personal a computer at home?" <laughs> anyway, uh, so there was there was a lot of people who saw that the personal computer was going to be you know a game changer, and so literally there were thirty companies called CAD companies back then. And yes, Bentley. Uh, I think we have a few virtues that uh, have have made our uh, our journey one that's been sustainable. One thing one thing was that we were profitable before we we got started. So every month of our existence, we've made money, and that's fairly rare. So we didn't have to do lots of uh, you know, chasing of targets that were unattainable. So we, we kind of lived within our means for a while. But also I think one of the things that, uh, that stood us in good stead is like I, I mentioned the company Intergraph, they were the c- computer, you know, they, they were the CAD vendor of the day. They were one of, they were a billion dollar company. They had a bunch of users that were initially our users because that we sold them compatible software that's compatible. And you know, it's there's always a temptation uh, in software to innovate and to kind of replace what you used to do with something better. Uh, and w- one of the th- things that Bantley Systems has done, and I think, will ha- has stood us in good stead, is we've kept our existing users and only added to. You know, kind of kept growing without replacing. So anyway, I don't know if there's a secret, but uh, one one thing is hire smart people, and I had four smarter brothers, so that helped <laughs> me. <So. laughs>
0: Are we all, you know, usually on the podcast, Keith, we always ask for for advice. So I'm glad you're already giving us some some, some good business and recruiting <laughs> advice.
1: <laughs> yeah, people still sometimes come to me and say, "What's it like working with your brothers?" And I always say, "Well, I advise against it, but uh, <laughs> but it's worked out pretty well for me." So yeah, we we've managed to work together for a long time. There's only two of us left at Bentley, but uh, that's it. That's a a different story for our company. Is somewhat unique.
2: I want to call out: the Bentley is an incredibly important company. Uh, some of the major pieces of infrastructure, some of the things we rely upon in our daily lives around roads and large-scale infrastructures, are being modeled, created, and operated using Bentley software. So it's not it's not a household brand, but I think you guys have had a, an impact on on a number of critical components of a, of our daily lives. So thank you for that.
1: Well, uh, don't thank me. I I never brag about Bentley Systems. I only ever brag about what our users do with our products, which is pretty incredible. And you're right, some of the largest projects in the world, uh, you know, physical infrastructure, and and one of the reasons the metaverse has such a big impact on our you know thinking going forward is the value that can be added by you know modeling not just the way things are but the way things might be. Think about the you know. Climate change and all the reasons why we need to change our energy sources. You know, there's just huge opportunities to do better in infrastructure, and it's been modeled largely, or a lot of it has been modeled using our tools. So we would very much like to be an enabler to make uh, you know using that information for the concept of a digital twin or the metaverse be uh, mainstream. But it's not today.
2: Let's uh, jump into this. I mean, you said. Phase two of the chapter two of the Bentley story was BIM, and now chapter three is going to be Digital Twin and the Metaverse. So uh, you launched iTwin, you know, a digital twin platform a a few years back, actually, already. So can can you speak to your motivation and and your vision behind this product line and how you see the the future of Bentley there?
1: Okay, well, the future uh, of Bentley is around iTwins and Digital Twins, and certainly that's Keith's perspective on it Uh, there can be lots of permutations on that theme. But I can tell you my uh, commitment, I feel so strongly about it, was influenced by this guy I met about five years ago who showed me this product. Uh, actually, he didn't show it to me. It was showed to me by one of a programmer in fan- France who worked for Bentley Systems. said, look at this really great stuff. And he showed me cesium. And I looked at what what Patrick and his team had done with cesium, and I was just floored, like, wow, that's in a browser? Like, wow. Just imagine all the all of the, the models that have been created with our tools. So suppose they were actually you were actually able to use it inside a browser combined with lots of other data sources. I mean, one of the great strengths of cesium is it does take data from many different formats and combines it together. And I said that's what our users need. That's that's what the world needs. Not just our users. The world needs to be able to to repurpose information in lots of creative ways. And I was so amazed not only about what it did, but by the fact that Cesium was open source. Like it was brought to me to my attention by someone who worked for Bentley Systems and was using it for something I didn't even understand. Like I didn't know why why Cesium was relevant. Anyway, so I started thinking about well, the future is going to be a, a a world where data gets shared way more so than it does today. I mean, part of the problem today is BIM is a really great concept, but you need a BIM tool to read a BIM file, largely. I mean there's there's ways you can exchange it in IFC and so forth. There's, but usually the data is modeled by something that you you know you have to learn, a tool you have to be really good at to be, you know, able to to do wonderful things to understand what's where. A, you need a license to it. B, you need training. C, you need the right version. And all those things combined just means that what people do today is they exchange information in PDF. So what a, what a, mm. a terrible outcome if we're modeling all this stuff and we have all kinds of... Wonder, BIM stands for information modeling, but if you <laughs> export it to a PDF, you've just lost all the value in it. So anyway, what Cesium uh, brought to me was, look, Information should be exchanged not in some dumbed-down format, but in a format where it could be live. And so I started thinking about, well, how could that possibly happen with our current generation of BIM products, Bentley's or anyone else's at the time? And I said something different has to happen. So we started creating something we now call I models and a open live open only because Patrick convinced me it was the right thing to do, or mm-hmm. Patrick's work convinced me. It wasn't Patrick specifically convinced me that a Information should be modeled in a way that you can repurpose it and reuse it by just downloading source code to a library that understands it without paying for a license, without having to, you know, go to school to learn how to make it work. And see, you know, you have to be able to glue it together because there isn't just one metaverse. There's, you know, every, everybody's view of what their digital twin and what the metaverse means to them is going to be assembled. By in parts. So I thought, well, how can we be relevant for that? We can't possibly do it with our current desktop. You know, our, our generation of BIM tools was conceived before the internet, you know, in, in the main. And so we had to, to think of something outside of what we were doing until so we invented a, a whole new file format, a whole new uh, persistence format. I guess I won't necessarily call it a file format. I could, we, we could get into that. But, and also a new library, that uh, based on JavaScript, you know, modeled after Cesium, actually using a lot of the Cesium code, and uh, and that we now call itwin.js. It's our future for sure, and I think you know people will use it. Hopefully, we'll use it to build tools that do lots of incredible things that they won't necessarily buy from Bentley Systems, but Bentley Systems can be relevant for them. So anyway, that's kind of the the direction forward. In 2022, I think we're maybe a third of the way through our journey from BIM. To, to digital twins, but we are we are all the way into you know a third of the way behind us. Uh, there's a long way in front of us, but anyway, so it's 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 a wonderful time. I wish I was I wish I was Patrick's age because <laughs> I'm so excited, and I'm more excited now. I have to say, I'm more excited now than I was in you know the PC. I saw that all the great thing, but you know PCs mainly they just they save money, right? You did the same thing but cheaper in digital twins. It's not about saving money. It's about doing a better job and, and about, you know, doing, you know, using uh, uh, new technology in different ways. People putting headsets on, it's like, it's not about just trying to do the same thing better. It's about doing different things. And anyway, so it's a great future, I think, for our industry. Certainly, I hope for Bentley Systems, but for all the pieces, the, you know, the people that can assemble this stuff. So, so if I was a young man, I would be starting my own company.
2: <laughs> so and for those of you who don't have a camera looking at Patrick Blush is actually a real <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> I feel
1: a lot of credit and he deserves a lot of credit but yes uh, I, I literally uh, wouldn't be here talking about the metaverse if I hadn't seen cesium five years ago how long ago was that Patrick I don't know
0: yeah it was about five years ago yeah
1: anyway
2: that's an incredible story uh, Keith thank you for, for sharing this so
1: let's keep on talking about interoperability then. Yeah. Well, okay, so interoperability, I think you, you can't have, I don't think, you can't have a digital twin or a metaverse of something that you buy from a single vendor. Like it just seems so remote to me that that anybody's going to constrain the types of information that they can model in their digital twin to being only available from a vendor or even a group of cooperating vendors. It's going to be assembled from parts that people will build. Now there's going to be people that are experts in doing this, so not every digital twin uh, user is going to build their own digital twin, but I believe there will be companies that are really good at pulling these pieces together. How can that possibly work? Well, you know, in in the world of open source, there are just so many pluggable tools that all build on the same technology stack that I think it is conceivable that you could assemble a digital twin from parts. Not if it's, you know, not if you go, have to go to school for every part, but you know, things like Node.js. I mean, I love it. It really does to me make the concept of open parts, pluggable work really well together, JavaScript, uh, you know, Game engines; these are all things that now are available and not, you know, price prohibitive. Not so hard to envision. Oh well, I would have to, you know, employ people that are experts in each one of them. The, I, I can be an expert at uh, something that I really, you know, I, I spend very little time because I'm I'm familiar with the techniques it uses. So openness, I think, is an absolute prerequisite for the success in well, certainly in infrastructure. I, I can't speak for, you know, metaverse outside of the one. Gee, that I,
2: that's such a radical departure from what we've heard from CAD companies over the past 40 years. So I, w- I oh, want to congratulate you, but I acknowledge that, you know, we, we hear we, we we have a lot of people coming to this podcast, you know, people from the CAD world usually do are not that blunt about it.
1: I, I can tell you there is no... Zealot like a convert, and I'm a convert because I was one of those people who said, you know, free software. Uh, I pay programmers. How can I make free software? Okay, I, I, that was me. I, I said that, but now I say, well, look, um, yes, we have to have. We're we're in, we're in this to make money. I don't get me wrong. I'm not mm-hmm. uh, you know in this for for charity. But I believe. The, the sum of the parts is going to be so much greater when it can be plugged together. Then, you know, people talk about vendor lock-in. That's one of the criticisms that people have against Bentley, against our competitors, who mm-hmm. <laughs> will go nameless, but you know, vendor lock ins real. If I were mm-hmm. out there, I'd say, Hey, if I use your tool, I don't want to have to have a subscription to your service to use my own data. Right. That's, that's insane. It's absolutely insane. Even if I promise you, like, oh, we're great guys. We will never rip you off. You might get mad at me for other reasons, and you need to have some, you know, leverage. Hey, Bentley, you know we don't like your policy. We're gonna, we're gonna leave. If your data is locked up in our format, how scared are we? We or our competitors are scared of that happening? But when we give you the tools to use your your data without anything from us, now you have the ability to leave us. Hey, that's not a good thing for us. But what what I think is, we can prove that there's a lot of reasons why you should pay us to you know provide you solutions. You can you can get tools, but we give you solutions, and I think we're going to win. You know, uh, yeah. I think if our platform takes off, um, our iTwin platform based on open standards like GLTF and all the other reasons why people will use lots of things that aren't from Bentley, we will be a you know a part of an ecosystem that's going to be way bigger, so vendor locking that's that's gone. <laughs> one of the things i've told told a lot of people at Bentley systems who have argued against me on this is, look, suppose there is an open you know open source platform and it really works well. what will happen? We will have to use it right? <laughs> we will be forced to interoperate with it. We'll try to sell you our proprietary thing, but you're going to say. Yeah, but make it work with, with this open thing because I use this you know, little tool I bought from some third party. And I think we'll be so much better off, we, Bentley Systems, but we, the industry, will be so better off if people have choice. So that's my position. And uh, that's not the first time I've said I mean, I've, I've made that case to our users, in front of our users. I've made that case to our uh, product managers, none of whom are particularly happy about the prospect that someone can use our platform without paying us. But I tell them the ecosystem is the thing. It's it's you know yet to be proven that I'm right, but uh you know I'm still pretty confident. Like I said, I'm more excited now than I was at the beginning of our CAD era. So, Vendor Lock-in. You should, if any vendor tells you that the only way you're going to be able to use your data is with a subscription to their cloud, you should slam the door in their face. That's what I say.
2: That's that's a fair. I mean, that's a fair point. I mean, it's a pretty obvious thing, even though we we know the industry practices tend to.
1: You brought up an important point a lot of the uh, infrastructure in the world that is modeled in our software is owned by government agencies, right? So, they have a lot of concerns. Governments today are pretty concerned about, you know, oh, d- if I'm, uh, uh, you know, an organization in China, do I want to have software from a company in the United States or you know, do I want to have uh, German software running on a, you know, American desk, you know, those kinds of combinations, of things so that these, these owners of infrastructure, they worry a lot about the, you know, 40-year, 50-year life cycle of the data that they're going to, you know, digital twin is going to become something pretty valuable to their to their operations. Suppose they have their disaster recovery built on top of their digital twin solution. Do they Are they going to listen to a vendor like Bentley tell them that, oh, okay, here's how much it's going to cost you for the next 40 years? Like we wouldn't be able to give them an answer to that if they want to. Anyway, they need flexibility. They want flexibility and they need openness. And it's possible. And Patrick proved to me it can work well. So
2: absolutely. So Patrick and I are part of an adventure called the Metaverse Standard Forum. And I think, you know, the idea is to to learn from, you know, the USD open source library developed by Pixar and Mm -hmm. and taken further by Nvidia and 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 propose a standardization of how you could compose 3d scene, which I think is exactly what you are describing as parts of digital twins. So I think there is a lot of convergence between those ideas and probably that now is the right time to lay that foundation that we can assemble, you know, virtual worlds or or digital twins, you know, from multiple sources, arguably in multiple formats into a single, in single representation. So we, it's, so it, it's a very, very timely conversation and timely topic, so.
1: Uh. Yeah, so when you, you talk about the ways that people will assemble information from multiple sources, you know, sometimes we, we, we like to point out that a digital twin of an infrastructure asset is gonna have three, well, three main components. One is gonna be just data that is observed right reality data. people fly a drone get a reality mesh get a point cloud that's a real important part of understanding what you have out there now drones and lidar is only of what you can see then there's you know just below the ground and people have there's ways that you can sense that so that's you know kind of the, the operational data like What is there? Then there's sensors, like you connect uh, ways to read current values of, you know, how many cars are passing over this road, how much strain is there in this bridge, connect the sensor, put a battery on it, put a transmitter to it. Now you can have this thing that has a basis in fact, because you've observed it, connect it with what's actually happening. You know what the values of all the not only the current values but you can also look at the past values that's all really cool and sometimes people think of that as a digital twin but then think about well what happens when you're going to propose a widening of that bridge or something like that there's a there's an engineering project that goes on and that's where things get a little bit more complicated in our world than some worlds because What you're actually doing is modeling the future, right? And the future is nonlinear. There might be five permutations on the way the, you know, changes are going to be made. You might want to model, you know, the construction sequence and like what happened, how do you get, you know, from here to there? And those future states of the digital twin are just as important, right? And sometimes Mm -hmm. the future states of the digital twins are things you don't want to have happen. You model disaster scenarios, right? So the engineering model plus the reality model plus the real time data they're all really important parts i don't know you know that i would i would consider anyone more important than the other but each one of them has a different requirement for persistence models for you know visualization techniques sometimes you want ultra realistic uh, representation. Sometimes you want schematic type representation. There's also drawings, you know, a lot of information about why, you know, a roadway network is the way it is or is in schematics or, uh, you know, anyway, so the co- complication of like how you're going to get all this stuff to make sense to someone, you know, for a specific purpose is a very hard problem that I don't think any one vendor is going to be able to solve. So that's why I think you know, open standards for interchange. Like, hey, we don't do GIS, but we, we we recognize that a lot of people have a lot of real important stuff that they've saved in their GIS system, or their GIS system has the current state of a lot of stuff. We need to be able to, you know, through things like cesium, get the current you know representation. Of that draw it in ways that we that, that our users can understand it. Send it off to things like, you know unreal to 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 be modeled in real time and do, and do a real nice job of you know simulating the the way things actually look in the real world anyway engineering plus operational data plus reality data is a hard problem that is enough there's enough value to be added that uh you know 20 years from now we'll look back and say my goodness you know was it can you believe all they did was you know <laughs> what we're we doing today no, so it'll be really, really important,
0: well, Keith. I love the open ecosystem philosophy and the idea that look, we're going to grow the pie so big that we can each be really good at a part of it, and then and interop. I think is you know is a really great strategy, and I think that's what led to the success of the internet. Right, as you step back and you kind of had silos of AOL or Prodigy. And then yeah, the yeah. open internet came with all the all the interoperability. Um, so your, your philosophy is great. And, you know, Mark previously mentioned. The well, I don't know if it's
1: great or not, but it's our philosophy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Time I'm all right.
0: Well, this, so this metaverse standards form that Mark and I have been involved in, you know, just launched a few months ago. And it's up to like 1700 or 1800 companies. And the idea is, hey, this metaverse thing can be, is, is real and can be big. And we need to work together to facilitate and enable that interoperability.
1: Well, I'm cheering for you guys because I really think the more success the standards, uh, you know, formats have, the more data there is for all of us and those of us who are working on trying to make it all work together. Uh, you know, it'll it'll help us, help our users, you know, and help the world. I I really think, uh, you know, the the infrastructure. I I I have an infrastructure uh, view of the world, and you know, I'm worried that. You know, we, we need to we need to solve big problems, climate change. You know, yeah, power generation, all those things. If somebody doesn't solve them, you know, forget making money. We're going to not exist.
2: <laughs> but talking about scale, I mean, you you are you are led to solve some incredibly difficult problems around. That. For example, your context capture technology, mm-hmm. you know, which is can can scan large scale places, so. How far do you think we can take that capture process, and how automated are you guys looking at machine learning technology? We've seen, you know, right. a number of a time. So, what's your what's your prediction on that? On that?
1: Well, I, I'm always inspired by you know examples of machine learning, you know, cars driving themselves, and well, we have some examples of just trying to reverse, uh, under uh, reverse engineer, you know, paper that has images of something that was, you know, modeled either in 3D or 2D and try to regenerate. And it works incredibly well. Algorithms are not the right answer. It's inferences that's gonna be the the long-term solution to those kinds of things. So I do believe context capture plus a lot of machine learning. There was a a demo I watched just yesterday about trying to, uh, you know, get uh, a a digital representation of uh, like, a, road surface, and detect cracks, right? People do that today. They go out and you know and they look at it and they mark and okay, you know there's a crack there. But you can do it in real time. You could fly a drone, uh, run a machine learning algorithm on the images from the drone, generate a three d mesh, and then you know determine that, okay, that's where we need to send a crew tomorrow. It's all possible today, or at least not all, but a lot of it is possible today. I really think we're at the at the very beginning of machine learning applied to, you know, engineering type problems. And I tell our people, I think that's going to be Bentley's future, and for sure. I don't think we're going to be able to do it all or say, like, even even in the crack detection world, you know, you need experts. So you need people that are are you know trained at you know making the models right. So the intellectual property, who owns that, I, I don't know. And I think there's going to be some, you know, business uh, problems around trying to make sure that the, the technology, people who, who add value get paid for it. But yeah, that's a nice problem to have.
2: How do you, what's your vision about making sure, because you mentioned, you know, there's still two a component like a reality captured component and a and parametric model. How do you keep those in sync? How do you make sure that your 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 nuclear plant the you know your your actual nuclear plant actually matches the the physical the digital model that you're going to use to do predictions?
1: Okay, well that's the the essence of our iTwin platform, I think. You know, if there's one thing I think it does that uh, that we've never done before, and I don't think anyone else has addressed is kind of change management. Think about the way software engineers work. We use Git. Right. Git's purpose in life is to keep track of who did what, what they changed. You know, you can roll the clock back. And as I mentioned, you know, the engineering projects, they're always dealing with a future state, but it's not one future state. So there's one team working on one part, it moves at one pace, they, you know, branch and merge, just like we do in software. So the essence of our iTwin platform and something we call iModels is change tracking, change merging. Uh, and it, you know, it basically is Git for infrastructure models. But anyway, that's kind of the essence of how to keep track of who changed what and what's the current state of something. But there's not just one. St- I just want to point out there's not one state of the digital twin when you talking about an engineering model. For example, you know, sometimes people model what will happen after some catastrophic event. And they want to save that. They don't want anybody to use that in real time. That's not the current model. But if that disaster happens, they want to be able to bring it up instantly. Look at what the, you know what has all the planning. How should it look? And you know who should do what. So anyway, uh, planning for what might happen is part of the engineering problem. Storing that information in a way that you can get to it quickly. You know, so- save it in the cloud. That's not an easy problem. But that's what uh, that's what we've worked on.
2: Yeah, you know, it's first time I hear this analogy with the software development process, and I think it's very, it's very relevant.
1: Another thing that's very analogous in software is, you know, we will have different uh, versions of our products, right? And sometimes we have to go back and make a change to an old you know, version. Well, engineering projects, you know, sometimes there's the plant currently being operated, and someone's got to go back out in the field. And replace a leaking pump or something like that. And okay, you got to get the, the state of the model as of when it was actually built. That's not the state of the model where it's currently proposed. You know, the the plan is is undergoing some transition. But you need to you need to go patch. You know, that's what we call it in software. And people do that in the real world. How do they do that today? They take sheets of PDFs out on on iPads? And how do you know you got the right one? It's a, it's a mess. It really is. And furthermore, one of the wonderful things about Git for software developers is I have 5,000 source files. I changed three. What did I do? Right? You know, finding change. And how does that happen in the world of engineering today? I kid you not, people hold PDF files up to the light, you know, try to find what <laughs> di- looks different. I mean, they don't literally do that, but, you know, it's all about trying to track change after the fact rather than keeping track of change and storing change. So that's what I'm on still. We, we store change. We don't store the current state. We store deltas. Anyway, that's a, that's a brand new thing and uh, a, a new concept for Bentley Systems. It isn't the way the world in the main work today,
0: no, but t- you know, taking that technology and that understanding from one domain, from the software domain, and then applying it, you know, to infrastructure I think is is
2: fantastic. And you said you have built iModel on top of an open source.
1: My favorite software product number two is Cesium, but number true, one, <laughs> <laughs> I must be said, uh, that really opened my eyes is SQLite. SQLite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything about iModels is built on the world's most open uh, database. Uh, it's actually the world's most used database, more data stored in SQLite than all other data formats, all other relational data formats. It's a relational database in a file. It's written by mostly two guys. They put the whole thing in the public domain and it works. I mean, it's a library. It's a C, not even C++. It's a C library that does full SQL, full transactions, um, and it works Amazingly, if you don't know anything about SQLite, you, you don't have to uh, understand um, how it works. but I guarantee you every one of your phones is running at least five copies of SQLite, including your mail application. That's the way all data is stored on, on mobile devices today. Anyway, we use SQLite as the persistence format for eye uh, for models, and we track changes through a tool in SQLite for keeping track of, you know, which rows and columns were changed. In it, in a transaction, that's that's the way change tracking is done. So it's it's a really cool technology. I love SQLite. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a geeks geek, and I tell people if you want to learn how to program computers, like if you're just getting started in in software, and you'd like an example of something that works really well, look at the SQLite source code. It's one of the best documented, best tested best most reliable source code it's not a large code but you would think that you know oh, how big how many lines of code is there in a sqlite or in a sql engine a query planner and a transition it's not that much you can learn a lot about how to write good software by studying that and i i, I do i i look at it a lot patrick i i love cesium but i i love sqlite even more <laughs> i feel
0: really good about cesium coming in number two
1: Okay, all right. I didn't want to install you.
0: <laughs> uh, but there's one other type of software that I wanted to ask you about, Keith, and that, that's game engines, right? So on this yep, call yep. you mentioned uh, Painters algorithm. You're probably one of the few people <laughs> I know who has implemented the painters algorithm. So you I'm know, proud as, of
1: it. It's just the way we <laughs> yeah. have to do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, through and through, you you know, you and your brothers are, you know, rendering programmers, right? Graphics programmers who rolled your own graphics engines early on. Um, And then you've, uh, at least to some capacity, adopted game engines um, for non-games, right? So I think these are, you know, a really, really exciting area to talk about.
1: Yes, uh, you know, no matter what we would do, you know, Bentley Systems, we, you know, our, our mission is not being the experts at rendering. And if you look at what game engines now do, it's just absolutely amazing to me. I remember looking at them some years ago uh, and A, being impressed, but, you know, thinking, okay, well, that's not, you know, we have all kinds of different problems. And and sometimes in CAD, we don't want it to look real. (laughs) Like we, 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 we have, you know, views where we show edges and, you know, it's not like it's realism is our primary goal, but all the time, our users want something that looks real. I mean... The, the more real it is, the better they can use to do, give presentations. For example, so we'll never be, you know, like the, the, the rendering kings. We we don't even want to be. In fact, so in our op- new open uh, environment, I'm hoping people will use lots of different visualization techniques, cesium uh, for, for web form factors, uh, game engines, not only for you know physical devices, but, you know, it's just going to look so much better. It's performed better. It's really, really wonderful technology. And, you know, frankly, they make a lot of money selling games, so they don't necessarily need to, you know, price it out of reach for people to use for, you know, uh, non-game applications.
2: Yeah, some people do that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right but anyway so uh we're relatively new at that i'd say you know our, our use of our of game engines of the game engine technology stack is nascent but i see lots of opportunity for the combination of you know open standards plus you know a real quality rendering system that can run both in the cloud on a, on a mobile device you know let's, let's, I just think that VR is going to be used way more when it's works, but you know, and it works and is priced the the way that people can use it on everyday projects. So, we haven't done as much with game engines uh, as we, as I know that we will. But I really feel uh, it's the right answer for a lot of problems that I don't want to have the Bentley Systems people working on. It's one of those areas where you know, when if we combine efforts. Both of us can, both us and other people that will use that technology can create a solution that, you know, neither one of us would be able to write on our own.
0: And we had the same observation with geospatial and applying that to game engines. And when we built the Cesium for Unreal plugin... Like overnight, we made thirty years progress. Right when I saw yeah, this, yeah. they use the rendering engine and everything there. And I did consider myself like a hardcore rendering person. Yeah, right? yeah you teach it, right? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, I can't keep up with <laughs>
1: with this. So, and next year's game engines will be better than this year. You know, like it's it's a march that uh, that the innovation is always yeah. going to you know happen. So, oh, I feel like that's the kind of thing we can combine with and not compete with.
2: Absolutely. There are even some open source alternatives
1: now. So the technology stack that oh, you would use to assemble, you know, a solution today is like imagine 10 years ago, talking about using, you know, a game engine, like, how hard would that have been? You know, like You the, the game engine vendors didn't think of it being used outside of the game, you know, form factor so they didn't put any work into making it possible for people to use it for other things so anyway I, I, I think
2: JavaScript is a solid you know computing platform
1: yeah and yeah. years ago would have been a right. bit you of would have a you would have given thing. up on that right you would have said ah, I gotta write it in C or <laughs> you know one of these compiled languages and hey I'm, I'm a huge JavaScript bigot now Patrick <laughs> <laughs> <gets> me <laughs> back too. I like TypeScript I don't know Patrick uh, you're not a TypeScript guy but
0: not yet keep we wanted to start wrapping things up uh with with two questions so so first you know there's probably a short list of folks that if asked who i would want to model my career after and i I would name you as one of them uh you know you have just incredible technical depth i think you've probably written more code than me recently which i'm quite quite jealous of um and then you've built an, an amazing company and and business so just for i mean for myself but also for our audience i mean what what career advice would you give for folks who want, want to be in the field?
1: Well, you know, I'm a programmer, Patrick. I love programming. I'm only good at it. It's the only thing, only thing in my life that I'm any good at is writing software. I was lucky enough to get into this business at a time when there was huge opportunities. Uh, I combined with uh, some really smart people and my brothers. <laughs> so I wouldn't give uh, advice to anybody other than you know, some people say, oh, pick a pick a career you're good at and you'll never work a day in your life. I say, I've worked every day in my life, but I've enjoyed them all. So, you know, hmm. what else can you look for uh, in a career but to have have done something you like to do? I've happened to also pick something where, you know, it's been financially, uh, you know, successful for me and and I've been pretty happy with the outcome from that, but I'd be equally happy if I was able to do all this all over again. And we, you know, didn't make a billion dollar company, but that wasn't the goal. So don't ask me for advice. I say, get lucky. And that's, that's my,
0: And that's part of the strategy. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. I did get some advice when we were starting and that was always hire the smartest people you can. And I do think there's, I mean, maybe that doesn't apply in every business, but in software, there's a category of programmer who are able to, like, you know, they see in code, you, you see a problem, you see a simple solution for it. There's other people that, you know, they might be really smart at other things, but they see a problem and they try to make it hard, you know, and, they, and software just doesn't come naturally to them. So uh, in, in software, I think hiring the smartest people. Is always good advice. Making things simple is always good advice. So I don't know. Those are two things that I, that I would I would say. Uh, I know, you know. of.
2: I tend to agree with this. The productivity you get from those smart people. I mean, it takes sometimes entire teams to replace them. Yeah, yeah. The only yeah. thing you fear that afterwards. <laughs>
1: Really worry <laughs> you you uh, worry too much about, you know, dependence on one individual. But anyway, that, that, you know, like there was a period of time in, in Bentley Systems past where we thought, well, you have N dollars, you know, hire, you know, more people, Don't you don't have to get the top. And that just never worked out. So, uh, you, you know, smart people like to work with smart people, work for smart people, you know, and you really have to make a team that, you know, enjoys what they do and are really good at it and they're not cheap. So anyway.
2: And our last question, although I think you've covered it already, is usually, is there a person, institution, organization that you would like to give a shit out to today that is not Patrick Cudsey?
1: No, no okay. <laughs> I, don't, I won't blow Patrick's uh, ego up anymore. But, uh, I, you know, Bantley Systems is where it is because we had really, really good users. People did and do Incredible things with our software. they've inspired us, you know like when I, I go home at night, I think of, my goodness, you know, like I, I have a list of problems that one of our users might have, and I think to myself, man, that they trusted us. you know they they thought that our tools were going to solve this, and if it's not working, I really want to help them. And then I look at what they do with it. I just think, my gosh, you know, it's really cool that I could have a, play a little part in that. So I, I always live in the reflected glory of the projects that people use our software for. So my first shout out would be to anybody who's ever brought, bought something from Bentley Systems and used it to solve a, a real world problem. Uh, and then, uh, of course, my new religion on open source. I, I won't mention Patrick's name again, but Richard Hipp at uh, SQLite. Mm-hmm. He's the gentleman's gentleman, a the best programmer I think I've ever met, and an inspiration. So, I would I would thank Richard for his contribution to the world.
2: Amazing shout out! Thank you so much. So, Keith Bentley, you you know created one of these big important cat company forty years ago with your brothers. What what, is, what an incredible achievements that you've been doing, and now you have this newfound religion of open source. Dive deep into the metaverse and digital twin. That that is that was amazing for you to share this with us. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, thank you.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I uh, I, I believe in both of your uh, your missions, so I'm cheering for you guys. And now, like I said, I've I've uh, listened to several of your podcasts, and you've had really good uh, guests. So hopefully, well, you'll be able to secret.
2: find something useful. What I said.
1: All right. All right.
2: And I think it's great that we get to expose, you know, people like you, you know, because as we said, Metaverse is gonna contribution from a lot of people and there's a lot of hard problems to solve. And I think some of those are being solved by you guys in Bentley. So once again, Keith, thank you very much for being there, Patrick. Next next guest will try to make you blush a little bit less. <laughs> 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 I, I'm not sure <laughs>
1: we can do this. But. Sorry, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> sorry, Patrick. All right. Thank you very much for having me.
2: Yeah. And thank you very much to our audience. You know, we, we hear lots of good things about the podcast. Keep on hitting us on social. Let us know what you think. Let us know who you want to hear from. And we'll be back with another episode soon. Thank you, Patrick.
0: Thanks, Keith. Thanks,
2: Mark. Thanks, everybody.